pleased to bring the word to you. We're in the book of Exodus. How many of you just kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to read through the book of Exodus. And, uh, and kind of as we're, yeah, great, we have some folks reading through Exodus. You know, I'm going to move through it slow because I'm going to teach you the Bible verse by verse. And as we go through this, uh, a little at a time, but you can always catch up and read through it and, and see what's going on there. Uh, but our, our focus has been on Moses, because in the beginning of Exodus, we see that Moses, uh, his, his birth, um, and then really I think the, the probably most impactful, relatable um, idea behind Moses is that he lived three seasons of life of 40 years each. And in that first season, if you remember, he was really trying to make something of himself in Egypt. As a young man, young men and young women, you know, you're in that stage of life where you're trying to make something of yourself, get that career, get that house, start that family. You know, you remember that, old folks? Remember? I remember those days when, when we, you know, started out, you know, we were trying to make something of ourselves. And then the next 40 years, Moses, we see him in the desert, and God is taking what he thought was something and making it into nothing, um, because Moses had his own idea and his own plan. So God shows him he's nothing, and now we're right here at the beginning of the third season, which is an exciting season of the life of Moses, and we're going to see that God has called Moses. Last Sunday, God called Moses. All the messages are on our website. You can go there to watch them. But I, I like it when people are in the third season of life. I really do. Um, because those are the folks that want to serve the Lord for the Lord. And for no other reason. For His glory. It's those first two seasons that when you see people in them, it can be a little bit painful. If you know what I mean. You know, you probably know someone that's in that first season, and man, they are just tackling the world, and they're going to be something in this world. And if they're doing it apart from God, man, you just know what the end looks like, don't you? I mean, you just know it's coming. The crash is coming because they're looking for something that is built within them. They were, I mean, we are all created with eternity in our hearts and God, knowing God and knowing the Father's love. And when they don't get that from the world, because the world can never satisfy that, um, it's just a sad thing to see. But then there's that second season where God likes to strip away everything that we do that we think is good and great. And God just takes that away and he puts us in a desert sometimes and he gets us to the point of we're dying of thirst. And then we approach, finally, hopefully, that well where Jesus is at and says, come drink from the living water. And that's a wonderful time because then we're in the third season. And we can do something, not for God, but because God wants to work through us. And that's an exciting time. And that's where Moses is at. God has called him. In fact, on the screen you'll see in verse 10, God says, Go, I will send you to Pharaoh for a purpose, that you may bring my people out of Egypt. And that's exciting because Moses has the calling. I mean, that's one thing that a lot of us want to hear from God. Like, what do you want me to do, God? Some of us are in that place like, Hey, I'm ready, God. Use me. I want to be... I'm used for your glory and I want to do ministry. And what is it you want me to do? You know, how many of you are, are you know what God's called you to do? Just a show of hands. Just curious. How many of you know what God's called? Okay, there's not a lot of hands up. Either you're too tired to raise your hand or you don't know. So if, if you don't know, that's, that's okay. Um, 
We got work to do, though. All right, we're going to find out what it is. That's the important thing. We don't just come to church to sit on our hands. We come to church to be the church. Right, church? Amen? All right, so God calls you, and when you know when God calls you, you know what you're supposed to say. It's that old saying, when, when God says, jump, you say, exactly. Now Moses, here's the call from God. Jump, go. And he says, um, no, I don't think so. He's got five excuses in Exodus 3 and 4. He's got five excuses why he's not the right guy to go. He's not the man for the job. And today we're going to look at three of those excuses, three of the five. And the title is, as non-exciting as you can be, Moses gives God excuses. <laughs> Sometimes I have good titles, sometimes I don't. That's what I got. Moses gives God excuses. But just think about it for a minute. Moses is a hero of our faith. Is he not? Is he not in Hebrews 11? In the Hall of Fame? The Hall of Faith chapter, as we call it? Yeah, but here's the guy who started off giving God excuses. So if you're there, if you're giving God excuses right now, don't worry. Moses gave God excuses. He can still use you and he won't dismiss you. So, we're going to read, if you have a Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. If you want a Bible, there should be a blue one in a chair near you, in front of you, and you can have that Bible. They're welcome. If you're a guest today, please take a coffee mug um, in the back or a Bible. We want you to feel welcome, all right? And some of you need some coffee, I can tell. You're a little bit quiet today. All right, so uh, Moses says in verse 11, to God. After he calls them, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Who am I? That's, God, that's excuse number one. Basically what Moses is saying is, I'm not really good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I'm a nobody. I used to think I was somebody, but then I went and did a stupid thing. When I was 40, I killed a guy and tried to you know, rescue your, your people that way, and it didn't work out, and now I'm in the desert for 40 years, and I'm an old man, I'm 80 years old, and I'm pretty much useless. Uh, I'm just being a shepherd, you know, doing my normal thing here. What are you going to do with me, God? I'm a nobody. I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. That's where he's at. You ever feel like Moses, by the way? You ever feel like that? You hear God's, you know, you kind of know the call, but you're just like, eh, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. Somebody else will do it, I'm sure. That's an excuse that Moses is use, uses. And I honestly used that excuse before. When I first became a Christian, I was excited about being a Christian and, and what was going on. I was 25 years old and I was in a church and, and the, um, the, the youth leader of the church asked me to lead a small group of middle schoolers. Okay, And maybe that's why I don't want anything to do with middle schoolers today. I don't know. I'm kidding. My wife taught middle school for 15 years. She's called to those munchkins, um, but not me. I liked high school. But anyway, I, I, I led a small group of, of middle schoolers. I was asked to do that, and I had a whole bunch of excuses why I was not the right person for the job. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to do this. I mean, I'd only been a Christian for about a year, and, and I honestly, I was never in a small group myself. Like, I never, I don't know what, what happens in a small group. What's supposed to happen? My background was I was a mechanical engineer and I was a basketball coach. 
So in my mind, small group was, okay, we're going to run around chairs and memorize Bible verses. Um, if they get something wrong, can I make them do 10 push-ups? Like, these are the things that I'm thinking in my head. Um, if we all do one, two, three, Jesus, is that a huddle that I can do? I mean, like, I'm a little bit at a loss here. I don't think I'm the guy. I wasn't good enough to do it. Well, the youth pastor simply responded the way that God responded to Moses. Verse 12. God says to Moses, I will be with you. And if you haven't underlined that in your Bible, you should underline it now. I will be with you. That's wonderful, isn't it? That God says, I will be with you. Every step of the way, I will be with you. And he goes on to tell him that um, when you bring these people back or out of Egypt and you come back to this mountain, I will be with you. This is an important mountain. We're going to see a lot happening on this mountain here, Mount Sinai. And uh, there will be no doubt that everyone knows that I am with you, Moses. Um, by the way, this same phrase appears again in Joshua. Moses hands the torch to Joshua when his life is over to lead the people into the promised land. In Joshua 3.7, the Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, and they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God will be with you. When God calls you, he will be with you. And that's important, isn't it, to hear? When God calls you, he will be with you. And I think I have that for the screen. When God calls you, he will be with you. Do you know who else didn't feel like they were good enough? The disciples of Jesus. Just think about it. They followed Jesus around for three and a half years, and they messed up all the time, didn't they? They kept messing up. I mean, they never could get it right. And Jesus would would tell them, you know, correct them. Um, they, would, they had all kinds of weird ideas, you know, like let fire come down and wipe these people out. <laughs> Jesus <is> like, boys, <laughs> relax, all right? They messed up all the time. So surely when Jesus was crucified and he res was resurrected and he went back to heaven, they were all alone. They felt, oh man, we are not good enough for this. We, we're, what? And then Jesus says at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission. Eleven disciples met with him in, the, in Galilee. And he says to them, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, what I love. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And this is the part we don't ever read. At least we, don't, we just kind of finish it off. We don't even think about it. Because we're so stuck on, go and make disciples. But what does he say at the end? Behold, I am with you always, till the very end of the age. And of course we know that the way that Jesus is with us is through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. He dwells in us. So God is always with you. When God calls you, he will be with you. And that should be very comforting. I hope you're comforted by that. Now, if you think that Moses was being humble in verse 11, oh, who am I, God? I mean, he's not being humble. He's being disobedient. This is excuse number one of five. But notice God doesn't dismiss him. He doesn't cast him aside and choose somebody else, and he won't do that to you either. If God calls you, he will be with you. He will be with you. Moses, of course, is a new believer at this point. He needs to experience God. He needs to grow up and become more spiritually mature. He needs God confidence. And it's totally true at this point in Moses' life. He is incapable 
But God is more than capable. And that's what God is saying to him. And that's what we need to remember. God is more than capable. When God calls you, he will be with you. Amen? All right, verse 13, we're moving on. Verse 13, the second excuse. Moses says to God, If I come to the people, if I go to these people of Israel, and I say to them, so Moses is picturing this in his head, right? Like, okay, all right, fine. You'll be with me, okay, all right, great. Now, I'm going to get there, and I'm going to get to these people, and what's going to happen? What are they going to say to me? Like, he's picturing this in his head, right? And the God of your fathers, he says, has sent me to you, and they will ask me, I love this. What, what are they going to ask me? Well, what's his name? What's his name? What am I going to say, God, when they ask me, what's his name? Now, they have been following God since Abraham, since Isaac, since Jacob. And remember, there's a 400-year gap between Genesis and Exodus, and Moses has been alive for 80 years. So we're at 480 years where God really hasn't spoken to God's people through a prophet. And now Moses is supposed to show up after 480 years and say, hey, God sent me to get you guys out of here. Do you see why he's a little bit nervous here? What am I going to say? Who is it that has sent me? Excuse number two. I don't know enough about you, God. I don't know enough. That's what he is saying. That's his excuse. I don't know enough. Now, you got to know something about Moses. Growing up in the household of Egypt, of, of, of the Pharaoh, of the Pharaoh's daughter, the Egyptians were pantheism. They had a religion called pantheism. And if you don't know what pantheism is, basically it's where the universe is a manifestation of many gods. The Egyptians worshipped Ra, the sun god, and Kansu, the moon god, and many other gods they worshipped. So Moses grew up worshiping these other gods, or at least being told to worship these other gods. And Moses is basically saying, okay, which god are you? What part of nature are you in control of? Clearly, you might be the fire god, <laughs> burning bush, maybe he thought. But God's response to Moses is a foundational truth that every Christian should know. Because you've heard it before. It's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. God says to Moses in verse 14, Genesis 3, I am who I am. And he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then God said to Moses, say also the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. Thus I am to be remembered through all the generations as the great I am. Now, our English translation, I am, of the original Hebrew word may bother you. Honestly, it bothers me a little bit because it doesn't make a complete sentence. If you're an English person, it really bothers you. Teachers, am I right? I am what? I mean, I mean, I have this bad habit, okay? Sometimes I start a sentence. And I don't finish it. My wife hates it when I do this. 
Because I start to say something and then I have another thought or something. And I, and she's like sitting there going, finish her sentence. Like one of these days I'm going to get one upside the head, I think. <laughs> this is not what God is doing. He's not going to finish his sentence. I am is a complete thought. In fact, I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. That's who God is. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come. God always was and God always will be. And no other God can boast that, can they? No. That's the great I am. There are lots of names in the Bible for God. In fact, they kind of come as a response to when people experience God. It helps us get to know God better. When you know God, you build an altar, you uh, name him, you, you have this experience. That's what they did in the Old Testament as a reminder of what God did for them, who God is to them. And Moses here is not giving God this name. He's getting it from God. God is saying, I am. And that's a special name. Now I want to give you a little lesson here about where it comes from and what it means and, and all of that. And it's, I gave you the four letters there. Y-H-W-H. That's the ancient Hebrew word that we translated I am. Okay, So those four letters are missing vowels, are they not? Yeah, but that's purposeful because the ancient Hebrew language didn't have vowels. I know, it's strange, right? So how do we pronounce Y-H-W-H correctly? And the truth is, nobody can answer that because, honestly, they didn't even say the name, the, the, the Israelites, because they were afraid they would say the Lord's name in vain. And so they didn't even say this name out loud. So how do we pronounce Y-H-W-H? Well, today some of you are probably in your mind thinking, Yahweh, it's Yahweh, Pastor Matt, just say Yahweh. Well, how do you know it's Yahweh? And the reason it is Yahweh is because later on they took the name Adonai, which means Lord, and the name Elohim, which means God, and they used those vowels, inserted them into this word, Y-H-W-H, -H, and then it came out Yahweh. And then a little bit later, in the 16th century, they added another vowel to make it a three-syllable name. And instead of the Y being Ya, it became Ja, and now we have Jehovah. So Yahweh, Jehovah, are the same names, just different syllables, inserting different vowels. That's your history lesson for today. Interesting, don't you think? But it all comes back to this verse in the Bible this truth about God, whether you say Jehovah or Yahweh, you are saying, I am. The self-existing one, the one who always will be. And what's really special about this name is the fact that Jesus used it. In fact, John, his disciple, wrote his gospel strategically with this name in mind. There are seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Seven ways in which Jesus describes himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. 
And in John chapter 8, he really stirs the pot with those religious leaders when he calls himself the I Am. I'll just read to you a little bit. In verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, and they went, What? You're not that old. You're not even 50, dude. What are you talking about that you saw Abraham? And Jesus says in verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was calling himself God. He was calling himself the great I am. And that they did not like. But I tell you what, and by the way, they picked up some stones to try to kill him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. But that to me was the ultimate mic drop moment <laughs> in the Gospel of John. I am Yahweh. Boom. <laughs> right? I mean, and he just walks out of there. That's who Jesus is. So Moses' second excuse is that he doesn't know enough about God. And what does God do? He gives him a name that has gone throughout all the ages. And we see this truth about God. When God calls you, he'll teach you. He will teach you. He will not send you out and not teach you. Moses' excuse here was my excuse, honestly. When they asked me to teach those middle schoolers, I'm like, I don't know enough about God. I don't know all the answers. I've never read the Bible all the way through, and you want me to teach middle schoolers? They're going to have questions for me. Hard questions. You have a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, a 14-year-old at home, you know they have hard questions, don't they? They think a lot. And they're going to ask me all these questions and I'm not going to know the answer. And I'm going to look stupid. You want me to lead a middle school group? I'm not going to do that. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I don't know enough. And the youth pastor simply said to me, just tell them you don't know the answer. And you'll get back to them. And I just love that. Because I have had so many people say to me over the years, oh, I'm afraid to share my faith with somebody. I'm afraid to share my faith with my coworkers, with my friends. I'm, I'm afraid. that They're going to ask me questions I don't know the answer. And my response is always the same. Just tell them you don't know the answer, but you'll get back to them. Because you will get back to them. And that is the greatest motivator for learning, isn't it? When somebody asks you a question and you're like, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll find out the answer. That's always motivated me to get the answer. And I'm guessing it has for you as well. If you don't know the answer, if you're stumped, tell them you'll get back to them, and then get back to them. Come to church and ask me. Ask an elder. Ask somebody that's a Bible teacher here, and let's find the answer for you. Let's figure it out. That is the way, the way to learn. That's the way God uses us to learn. So don't be afraid to engage in conversations. When God calls you, he will teach you. And by the way, you're never going to know everything. That's, the, that's a lovely thought that I have. That for all of eternity in heaven, we'll be knowing God more and more every day. Isn't that a wonderful thought to think about? Because we'll never know all of God. He's God. But we're going to spend eternity knowing about Him. Exodus 4, verse 1. We get the third excuse. Moses says to God, Behold, they won't believe me. They won't listen to my voice. They will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So what kind of excuse is this? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of these people. By the way, there's two to three million of them. 
You might be afraid too, right? You take Moses aside here. What proof will I have that you have appeared to me? Do you ever worry about stuff that never actually happens? Think about the sleep that you've lost because you've worried about something that never actually happens. I just shudder to think about how much sleep I've lost. Worried instead of having faith. That's a scary thought, I know. Moses was afraid. God has a solution. Verse 2, the Lord says to him, Moses, what do you have in your hand right now? Well, he says, I got a staff. Or it could be translated a rod, because a shepherd had a staff and a rod. And I taught this last year. Um, what is it uh, about a shepherd having those two and what they're for? A rod was used to keep away the dangerous predators. Kill snakes, kill scorpions with that rod. Moses was a shepherd, so he had a rod. And God says to him, throw that rod on the ground. Okay, throws it on the ground. And what happens? It becomes a serpent, a snake. And I love this scene. What does Moses do? He runs. Like a little scaredy cat. He runs. I mean, okay, so Moses is like Indiana Jones. He doesn't like snakes, all right? We get that. But then the Lord says to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail, and he does it, he catches it, and it becomes a rod again in his hand. And he says that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Here is this snake stick. Or as I like to call it, God's rod. God's rod. You can use it any time, Moses. But that's not all. He doesn't just have one thing for Moses to show the people. He's got another thing. And he basically says to him, I think it's like a magic trick. He says, take your hand, put it in your cloak, and he does. He says, pull it out, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. He says, put it back in there, puts it back in there, pull it back out. It's healed. I mean, it just doesn't, it, don't you think it's a magic trick? Like, I mean, what a, wow. Like, that's what he's going to do in front of these people. That's what I... That's what the scripture says. There's a third thing, though, in case the rod doesn't work, in case the hand doesn't work, take a cup, get some water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground, and it will turn into blood. And he does it. Well, I don't know if he did it in the desert, but he had faith that that would work. So three proofs that God appeared to Moses that Moses will do. God's rod, a leprous hand trick, and turning water into blood. So here's God's way of dealing with Moses' fear. And it's the same way he deals with your fear, by the way. Take what's in your hand and put it in God's hands. Because then it's all powerful. Take what's in your hand, put it in God's hands, and it's all powerful. I remind you of David, who took his slingshot and put it in God's hands and killed a giant named Goliath. I remind you of Samson, who took the jawbone of a donkey and put it in God's hands and killed a thousand Philistine men. Whatever's in your hands, put it in God's hands, and it will be all-powerful. Because when God calls you, he gives you the strength, the strength to do it. I think about that very first lesson that I taught those middle schoolers, how awful it must have been for them. 
Since then, I've learned a few strategies about teaching God's Word, and I know how to put a lot of time and effort into a sermon, and I think I do a decent job of keeping you engaged with some humor and some stories. I think I know how to expose the true meaning of the Bible text, and I know how to help you apply it to your life. And I know I can do a lot with God's Word, but I can only do what God can do. Every sermon I place in God's hands, because that's where the power is. Like Paul said, if I speak eloquently, the gospel is lost. It's not about how I say it or what I do, it's about how you receive it by the power of the Holy Spirit. When I pray for the message, I pray like John the baptizer. I must decrease. He must increase. I don't want you to see me. I want you to see God. The power is in his hands. So whatever you are called to do, whatever God has called you to do, trust in his power. Take away all your fears by trusting in him. And God will bless you. Remember the time where Jesus drew a crowd of 5,000 men, a bunch of women, children, probably 10 to 15,000 people, Jesus and his disciples, Jesus teaching all day. They're in amazement at what he's teaching. It's getting late. The disciples are getting worried and hungry. And the people are hungry. And they say to Jesus, what are we going to do? It's dinner time. Are we going to send them away? Are we going to feed? We don't have enough money. What are we going to do? How are we going to, there's a problem, Jesus. There's, there's not enough time. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? These people might trample us. They're afraid. What's going to happen? Andrew has an idea, Simon Peter's brother. He finds a little boy whose mama packed him a little lunch. Five barley loaves and two little sardine fish. And he says, well, we got this. And the little boy takes that meal, puts it into Jesus' hands. And what does Jesus do with the little meal in his hands? He feeds all the people. I think about that a lot when I think about this church. Because I think about how it started with just a few people. And yet God is multiplying us to do a great work and feed thousands with the word of God. That's why we're here, to help people understand the Bible, to love one another, to get closer to God. And what God will do in our midst if we keep being obedient and keep putting what we have in his hands, because that's where the strength is. We all have to surrender whatever it is, whatever our excuses are to God, and trust in him. If God is calling you, he will be with you. He will teach you and he will be your strength. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Father, I thank you more than anything because I know we have excuses. I know that you've been calling some of us to step up and serve in a mighty way, and we've been a little bit afraid. We've been giving you an excuse that says we're not ready, we don't know enough, we're not good enough. Or maybe we're just afraid. We're fearful. But God, I pray you'll use this message to change that, to, to overcome those excuses. Because we know you're with us. And we know that when we put it in your hands, 
that we can do all things. And I pray you will, God. I pray you'll use this wonderful church to bless many in this community. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said,